instead of looking through resumes, we've actually invited candidates to go online and to start taking assessments or games so that we can really understand what their skills are. And it's not only to see where we might hire them, it's for them to see what they're actually good at so that they could be really directed toward their own careers here or frankly elsewhere. Welcome to the Greenhouse Podcast, Hiring for What's Next. I'm Daniel Chait, CEO of Greenhouse. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about diversity in hiring. We'll touch on many issues, ranging from attracting a broader slate of candidates to reducing bias in interviewing, to building an inclusive culture, and much, much more. I recently sat down with two incredible women from J.P. Morgan Chase, who have been breaking the glass ceiling and leading in the support and education of women inside and outside of J.P. Morgan Chase globally. Raquel Odin, Managing Director of the Northeast Division, and Samantha Saperstein, Managing Director and Head of Women on the Move. Welcome, Raquel and Sam. Thanks, Daniel. Great to be with you. Hey, yeah, Daniel. Absolutely. Welcome. Sam, you're hosting J.P. Morgan's Women on the Move program. Uh, how did that come about and how's it going? So J.P. Morgan long had been working on women's issues around the bank. We had a business resource group for employees for decades. We've worked with clients and consumers, obviously, in all of our businesses. And about three years ago, our CEO, Jamie Dimon, thought it was time to have a full-time dedicated team against a strategy for women, both inside and outside of the bank. And so as that was coming together, I raised my hand. And so for the past two and a half years or so, I've run this group. Women on the Move is a global effort, and we have three areas of focus. One is still our employees. We're always focused on getting more women at the firm and getting them to senior levels here. But we're also focused on two very big external areas. One is women in business and particularly helping women small business owners get funding and launch and grow businesses. And our third area is around female financial health and how we can make sure women are very confident about their finances, you know, take an active role in that and really save and invest for their futures. So all of these areas come together. I work with partners all over the bank as well as outside of the bank. And it's a wonderful mission to be part of. What a unique role. I'd love to uh, dig in a little bit more on that in a bit. Uh, Raquel, over to you. So you've got a managing director position. You oversee a huge amount of responsibility within this big global financial institution. What's that journey been like? And I'd love to hear a story about how you see yourself as a female leader in what's predominantly and historically been a very male industry. Well, first, thanks, Daniel. I'm super excited to be here with my very good friend, Sam. So I'm part of J.P. Morgan Chase, and I lead our Northeast Division which includes both our consumer business and our wealth management business. And what's super exciting about that is being there for our end client. So across the Northeast, we've close to 10,000 employees that wake up every day to serve our customers on all of their banking and investment needs. What's really important about that is we have close to 1,000 branches and we service about 4.9 million customers. What's pretty dynamic is the amazing folks that we have that wake up every day to do that. For myself, what got me to this journey to be in what I call the people business is a little over 20 years on Wall Street, started in investment banking, spent a couple, many years in asset and wealth management, and now really excited about the ability to bring both the consumer business together with our wealth management business. You're right. I think it's been some time, which is why I enjoy all of what Sam does and wakes up every day to do. 
is to make sure that there's been organization that's committed to the leadership of women in, in what I call very important hiring and P&L roles. My belief in life is diversity begets diversity, and the opportunity for women to be in these positions is pretty critical. My full career has 100% been about servicing customers, and I think as part of that, there is definitely and will continue to be opportunity for more women uh, and minorities to be in that space because all the communities we serve is very diverse, which is why our leadership should also represent the communities that we serve. I'm curious, you mentioned that uh, you describe yourself as being in the people business, which I think for our listeners, they might think a bank is very much in the money business. What do you mean by that? Uh, What I mean by that is, one, we service individuals. And very importantly, there's no way we could do what we do without the amazing individuals that I mentioned uh, that wake up every day. You know, banking is under the lens of essential. So my 10,000 employees woke up every day to service and be there for our customers. You have to be in the people business in order to ensure that you're waking up every day thinking about how to be there for your customers and clients. It's very inspirational to people hearing about a company such as J.P. Morgan Chase, which one might think is so financially focused in such a forward-thinking way about the role of people and, and talent, both internally as well as the people that you serve, as well as, as well as your customers. Here at Greenhouse and on the podcast, we're always thinking about hiring. I know the real partnership that is required amongst business leaders as well as recruiting and HR teams working together in any hiring capacity, even more so when it comes to working on diversity and inclusion. And so in that light, uh, Sam, I'd love to hear one of the areas that Women on the Move has been focused on, I know, is career opportunities for women within J.P. Morgan and within the broader J.P. Morgan network. What are some of the strategies that you've employed to work with business executives throughout the firm to get them on board? Well, we try to take our mission and make sure it's not only global, but very relevant to specific regions. So we work with our lines of businesses to understand what are they trying to achieve when it comes to their female employees in their own business? You know, it's one thing to have numbers and goals at the top of the house, but we really try to be very targeted on what individual businesses need to do. The organization is going to be rolling out scorecards and a lot more reporting on diversity goals, not just for women, but for other segments that are not as represented so that senior level managers are really going to be responsible for hitting these targets, even starting this year. We're going to take a look at it and see how far we can get. So it's working with businesses, it's putting their own numbers in front of them, and then it's helping them with specific programs that they need. So if technology, for example, needs to hire more women coming out of colleges, we'll help them do that in a better way. If our investment bank needs a different kind of help, you know, maybe the pipeline's better, but we're just not converting enough women to come in, we'll help them and take a look at that. So it really depends on what the business's unique needs are. You know, we always want to start with that in a really good partnership. That type of accountability, that idea that the success of recruiting efforts and diversity efforts rests primarily with the business side and not as an HR initiative, I think would be surprising to a lot of people. And I think sounds quite different. We 100% believe that recruiting is the manager and the business's responsibility. It is not HR's sole responsibility or primary responsibility. HR is a wonderful partner. They help us in 
obviously identifying candidates, running a recruiting process, helping to vet people, making sure there's diverse slates. But in the end, the business really needs to own that decision and that outcome. And so that's why the focus now is with the reporting and ensuring diverse slates. I think that will always stay the case here with the business. I think it has to, you know, we hire tens of thousands of people annually at the bank. And so if we don't make sure that this is happening everywhere as best as it can be, we would find it's harder to make our targets. That's great. And so Raquel then, as a business leader, as someone who is partnering with you know, a recruiting team and DNI professionals who are so forward thinking, how do you see your side of that equation? What are the things that you and your leadership team are doing to try to diversify the workforce? I think it's very critical in the standpoint that as a leader, um, that this does need to sit in the business and, and you're spot on on our partnership with HR, where we can ensure that we're onboarding and bringing people in in the right way. But at the end of the day, it's critical that the business leads. When you're in the business and you run a P&L, what's included in that is not only the P&L, but it's the people components of it. And so recruiting, hiring, and retention, right? That's at the core of leading your organization. And within that, ensuring diversity, right? And the idea that the business owns it, which is really critical, is because you want to make sure you're getting the best talent and bringing in that diverse view, right? So that you're really holistically looking at your business. I hire thousands of people every year. And what's critical is the idea that it's not just myself, but all of my managers and leaders and how do we hold ourselves accountable. We are going to ensure that, and it's very simple, our teams need to represent the communities we serve. And we serve very diverse communities and clients. And you want to ensure that within our four walls, we represent that. Partly what you heard from Sam is the reporting and the ability to track and review where we are with this. Secondly, it starts with yourself. As a senior leader, I have to hold myself accountable. We ask for self-focus within our leadership too. We ensure that there is the ability to look at reporting, but reporting to ensure that we're inspecting. And then thirdly, complete commitment to accountability. As you heard, we can ask the business leaders to say this is important, but I think anything that's important to any business actually needs to be measured and tracked. It's, it's easy for anyone to you know, put a hashtag or a social media link and say it's important, but you know that importance being backed up by real accountability and real partnership and ownership by the business leaders, I think really speaks volumes to the approach you all are taking. So if we drill down one more level then, you mentioned you're hiring thousands of people. Obviously, it's a gigantic organization. With such a high volume of recruiting and hiring every year, how do you scale your approach, what are the kinds of things that you can do to sort of help combat or push against the inherent biases that we all bring to every aspect of the hiring process? Well, one thing we've done over the last few years, which is super exciting to me, is to remove that human element in a way from the process. As part of the initial vetting of candidates, instead of looking through resumes, which has been the age-old thing that we've all done, We've actually invited candidates to go online and to start taking assessments or games online so that we can really understand what their skills are. So regardless of what a resume says on it or the names or the schools or the companies, you know, we're really looking for people's intrinsic skills. 
And it's not only to see where we might hire them, it's for them to see what they're actually good at so that they could be really directed toward their own careers here or frankly elsewhere. And so it's using this new technology tool that's called in different people. And it gives us a wider reach of candidates and it gets in a more diverse group with a more diverse set of skills than we would have reached otherwise. I think this is where this recruiting process is really going. Uh, the ability to really understand at the root what people's skill sets are rather than things that a human person and looking at things might gravitate toward. So they're not just hiring their own friends, but we're really hiring people who have a great solid background. Study after study have shown the deficiencies about focusing on resumes, whether it's the biases that come in when we look at the name at the top of the resume or the formatting or schools that people attended. And so your focus on assessment and having people test themselves out in various skills seems designed to combat those biases and put things on a more level playing field. Test seems like a really scary word. There are assessments that people go online so we can just see how they think. There's no right or wrong answers. It's just a process by which we can gauge, you know, how did your brain work? What approach do you generally take to things? And so that is just a very exciting piece of it. And then a number of our businesses too are looking at their job descriptions and trying to take out words to make sure we have more gender neutral language because those job descriptions up front help you attract people and get certain people in the door. And when they turn off a number of people because they're just not written in the right way, we lose off the bat by not getting the talent to even apply. Any surprising changes that you've made to your job descriptions or other content as a result of that? I think words that in the past would seem pretty straightforward, like aggressive and go-getter, things that have to do with how fast or hard you work and run, those are things we've really stripped out so that it doesn't seem so dominating. We try to be more focused on the kinds of skills that we're looking for and that people want to have a wide variety of experiences and really help to problem solve and collaborate. Right. Those words paint a whole picture in our minds through our lived experience in the world of what the workplace means and what it's going to take to succeed. And so by choosing those words more carefully, you can really change the picture you're putting in people's minds. So we've talked about this hiring side of DE&I, of what it takes to appeal to, you know, a diverse range of candidates to assess and select in a, in a more fair and objective way. Once you're in the workplace, I know that through Women on the Move and other programs that you guys have had a lot of success put into how you support women and underrepresented people throughout the workplace. So we're implementing a new program that we've worked with an outside company on. The company is called Fast Forward, where we're really taking a look at helping women develop what we call their bold vision, their vision for their life, which is both professional and personal. It's a tremendous exercise because it allows people to think of both sides and put out goals that they're going to have achieved in that year. And then we help them figure out how to get there. And as part of this program, Fast Forward has a buddy system where we match women up. 
so that if they're in a small group going through this program, they have someone who's going to hold them accountable for their own personal goals. And we love this. The buddy is there so that you can check in, talk to that person, get feedback on your vision, have somebody pick you up when you've stalled. And even in a virtual world, we've been able to have this program. We started it during the crisis. We had 500 women go through it virtually. And we think when we get back into the office next year, you know, we can really start ramping this up to thousands of women across the company. And the buddy system, I think, plays a really important part of this. It's not just learning online by yourself, but it's really working closely with someone else. Right. I mean, you normally think about these programs as some official coaching capacity, but this sounds more like it's around almost just creating the safety and venue for people to help each other. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we try to match people up at like tenure. So you're usually going through the part of your career that the other person is. You know, that being said, we have mentorship programs as well. We always encourage people to find sponsors. I think sponsors are really critical. They're the ones who are really going to give you that stretch opportunity, tap you for something you might not have known about. It's very hard, I think, to match people as sponsor or sponsoree. It's hard to get that chemistry engineered, but we do encourage people to find those sponsors and we encourage our senior level leaders to be sponsors, especially for people who are not like them and have other backgrounds. So the combination of these different things, the sponsors, the mentors, the buddy in this program, you know, this really provides for individuals a sounding board, your, your own board of advisors to help you take you through your career. That's great. And then you've said that diversity begets diversity, which has kind of been a theme of other guests on this podcast. How does that work within these structures and groups within JP Morgan? What you just heard Sam describe across the board is we realize without mentorship sponsorship, it is really hard to move the needle on diversity because the reason why I make that statement and I believe that, one, people want to see themselves in the organization. I think that's just human nature to know that it's possible. Secondly, when you come in with that maybe natural lens of diversity as coming in as a woman, you come in with that understanding of that, those experiences and bring that with you. That's important. I think the reason why you put the two together, right, is the idea that you could formally have a mentor that you, you've talked about, and the firm steps in and has a very organized way of doing mentorship, right? So you could either plug in informally, because I think many of us know we can always reach out and create our own organic mentor, but when the organization has it, it's a formalized program. You also speak to what's really important about it is this peer mentoring, where there are people of your level having your experience. And then three, which I think what's amazing about Women on the Move and what Sam has done you have a large group of women coming together wanting to support other women. There's a desire for that. And the reason being, I think all of us are saying we want this to be a different place when we look back, right? And so your commitment as a Women on the Move member, as I am, is your commitment to embrace, include, and support other women coming along. There's tons I want to follow up on there. Let me pull out a couple of threads. One I want to follow up on Raquel, you said that there's an obligation um, on members of this group to give back and to make certain commitments for themselves to help other people. And I think often when you hear about employee resource groups or ERGs, as we say, they're seen as something that one joins to get help for themselves. But it sounds like there's a two-way street here. It sounds like there's a sense of commitment on the members of Women on the Move. Well, I would have Sam speak to the formal component of that. As the senior women in Women on the Move, all of us are there for other women as we think about their career and their progression. 
as part of many of these resource groups, my intent is one, I wanna to get to know more about that group. Secondly, if I wanna be supportive of the people that are part of it. And then thirdly, if I can in any way help, that's purposely where I come in and say, I know that's my personal obligation to do so. When you listen to the Women on the Move and when we go to the conferences, they are ensuring that we understand the value of having a seat there and us having an obligation for that seat. We are stronger together and united in support for each other, which is why it's pretty awesome to have access to groups like this. I think when most people think of internal kind of employee resource group or other type of interest group like this, they might picture a handful of employees getting together in the lunchroom and having bagels and coffee. Women on the Move is kind of a behemoth. It's got a, a whole structure. It's giant. You mentioned a little bit of the scale, but can you touch on just the scale of the operation? How many people are members? Sure. This will feel very big, especially when some folks are coming from very small companies. Women on the Move globally has more than 40,000 members. So if you think about that, that is probably a third of our female workforce really belongs to this. And we have men as members too. We like to call them men as allies and they have also signed up and they're helping to drive a lot of great conversations about men's support in all of this. But Women on the Move is really very grassroots here. There's members in all of our cities and countries around the world and they really do come together as we discussed, you know, for the networking among themselves for more expertise building. So we have groups focused on specific lines of business. We'll also have groups focused on banking topics in general. And sometimes it's just on career development topics. So women are always able to come together and meet each other and also really go deep on specific topics. So every day there's something going on. And I think when you start seeing the events come through and you get the emails and you see them just happening in our buildings, it really builds a sense of community um, and people wanna get involved and join us. So we're really proud of that. And we try to do events from large to small, webinars these days, of course. Hopefully when we're back in the office, we'll all be able to get together, but there's no shortage of things that we get together and we talk about. I know you even produce a podcast that anyone can listen to. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. We have recorded three seasons of our Women on the Move podcast. And in it, each season, we try to be really deliberate around a certain subject. This is available on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast. Our first season, we recorded in Davos at the World Economic Forum. And that was just an incredible place to be because we had access to so many female leaders in all sectors, industries, whether it was business or nonprofits or entertainment. You know, one of my favorite discussions then was with Meredith Coppett-Levian, who at the time was only months away from being announced as the next CEO of the New York Times company. And being able to sit with her and talk about the evolution of the New York Times from a print to a digital organization really showed you how she thinks. And you can definitely see why she uh, leads that company now. Our second season, we spent a lot of time with employees here at J.P. Morgan to really show people what it's like to be a woman at the bank and the experiences people have had around the world. And we heard from Lori Beer, our chief technology officer, as well as Gordon Smith, who um, is co-president of our bank and is a fierce advocate for diversity. And we're currently telling the stories this season of female small business owners because they've been so hard hit by the pandemic and they really need the help to get through this and thrive. So we wanted to bring a lot of their stories to life too. How exciting. It's not just for women. Women on the Move podcast is for anyone interested in business, interested in diversity, interested in the movers and shakers. 
in our society and the issues that affect everyone. Thank you. When Raquel was talking earlier, she told a story as well around moving beyond even just being an ally, supporting a colleague, and really a story of sponsorship. This idea that even when you're not there, there are people who are in a position of power that are there to help you. I'd love if you could talk a little bit more about how that works and any stories that you can share about how that's helped within J.P. Morgan Chase. So this is me, separate from the formal J.P. Morgan Chase. I'm just going to tell a personal story. I remember a point in my career where I was selected to lead a division, which was very different from anything I had done before. I had always been within a lens of a marketing world. And then someone mentioned my name and actually said that she'd be great for our international business. And I thought to myself, gee, who would have done that? And the advocacy came from a very senior executive that I had worked on things for and programs for and who had informally always seemed to be supportive from afar. But I knew the true test of it was the fact that that was the individual who brought my name up as to say she's the right person for this role. The reason why I talk about the importance of that sponsorship piece, there's a lot that goes in there. Someone's really, one, advocating for you when you're not in the room. Two, they're actually saying, I recommend, which means they're taking their brand and their reputation as to say, I endorse this person. And three, they're willing to speak for you without the ask, because there was no ask here. And so I always say that's just important in anyone's career, that your advocacy for you can make a very big career difference, quite honestly. Wow. If I'm a business leader, if I'm a vice president at a tech company, or if I'm a manager on a team somewhere, and I want to play that role, if I want to help be someone's sponsor and advocate and things like that, how do I go about doing that? How do I find someone to sponsor? How do I know when to do it? You need to take a really intentional approach to the people around you. So I would encourage managers just to understand who on their team or colleagues in general do they spend their time with just day to day? Who do they give feedback to? And who are they actively helping in some way, whether it's a regular mentoring or coaching session or going to meetings and speaking on their behalf. And I would encourage everybody to really take a hard look at the people you do that with today and ask yourself if they look like you or if they look like a pretty diverse group of people. And if you have room to be more diverse in that, it's time to be very intentional about that. Managers can play a huge role day to day in building that inclusive culture. It's not only about waiting till year-end reviews or mid-year reviews or compensation decisions. It's all the time thinking through, how are you giving assignments to people? If you're in a client coverage role, how are you balancing those coverage assignments with people? Are you giving the same feedback that's performance-driven to both men and women? and not necessarily only giving men performance feedback and women more style feedback. And I would also say, take a look at how you walk the halls and who you talk to every day while getting your coffee or uh, just roaming around. You know, are you really reaching out to folks you might not speak to on a regular basis? Can you pull them in more? Can you ask for their opinion specifically in meetings and calls so that you're, you're really hearing from folks? Anyone can do those things. Even if you're young and starting your career, you can always be inclusive. And then managers have just an extra role to play to be intentional about who they're supporting. None of those things require money or a giant headquarters to do. Anyone can do them. I wanted to echo 
the diversity of your mentors. You have to ask yourself that, right? You want people that look like you and you want people that don't, right? Because you've got to diversify the other statements you made, which is very important, which sometimes is a taboo word, but critical is that word of feedback. That's always the hardest pill to swallow, but in order to grow, it's a very important one. And that's why you want that group to be diverse so that you're really getting diverse feedback and you're actually taking it in. And we're always in a learning mode. And I love that she pointed to the fact that individuals may be more comfortable speaking to a male about it. And then for females, you're not getting the real feedback, which is the reasons why you may have barriers as to why you're not progressing. And so getting allies comfortable speaking to women about real feedback is also going to be helpful if you diversify that group of mentors that you're talking about. I love how you're raising the really important issue of giving that equal feedback to everybody. You know, feedback is tough to give people, especially when it can be critical, but we try to do it around here as much as we can. And again, I'm really advocating for a very balanced view of your feedback and making sure that you've thought carefully about how you're delivering it and to whom, and that it's all performance-driven. Yeah, and you dropped a great little nugget that I want to come back to. You said make sure that you're giving feedback on performance, not on style. So assuming everyone's goals are set up in a very clear and quantifiable way, so let's just put that on the table first. You know, your feedback really should be around how did you achieve those goals? Did you achieve your goals? And how might you better achieve your goals? I think a lot of women tend to get feedback that's around they weren't vocal in a meeting, they don't have executive presence. That's a really tough one, executive presence. We hear that all the time. Well, what does that mean? It means you don't look like other leaders we tend to think of, and that generally is men. So executive presence to me is not really a good piece of feedback. If you wanna tell someone, listen, you could have presented your presentation more clearly, practiced, gotten it tighter with all of your key points up front, that's great, that's actionable. And that can lead to owning the room more and really demonstrating leadership. But get out of the executive presence, you know, you're too quiet, you're not assertive feedback, because that is not helpful. Right. It's not actionable. Saying you don't conform to my biases. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I'd love to land on some advice. What advice do each of you have for business leaders who are interested in in diversifying their companies and sort of have yet to take the first step? I think a first place to start is taking a hard look at the numbers. What kind of representation do you currently have and where would you like to be? So get those goals really clear and then take a pulse of your employees. Maybe there's something about your culture you haven't fully explored and you might think it's working for everybody, but lo and behold, people are saying that's just not true. We do a yearly employee opinion survey and when we see areas that dip, and actually on the whole, it's very strong, but whatever areas dip, you know, we go down further, we do slice it by gender, we provide feedback to managers. You know, you have to just really start getting into the details around what people are saying and thinking. And then I would really focus on really bringing your leaders together and showcasing what the good ones are doing about diversity. You know, it probably is true that whole 80-20 rule that 80% of your diverse hires probably come from 20% of your managers. Who are they? And how can you highlight them? But how can you also talk to the other 80% and tell them that's their job too? and you will hold them accountable. So bringing all these pieces together through the data, through reporting, through employee sentiment, all have to be part 
I think of a, a foundation, a beginning as to where to start. I would actually echo those comments quite honestly, but I also add to that, like you have to start with yourself. And you probably heard me say that, like if I ask of my team, I've got to assess myself first and lead by example. And we say that about a lot of things, and this is one where, especially around diversity, you have to lead by example. What does the makeup of your team look like, your direct port team look like? Who's in what type of roles within your team? Who's playing the support role? Who's actually in the client coverage roles? If you feel like you don't have the core talent around your table, what are you going to do about it? Because once you assess, doesn't mean like you assess and you're not there, then you say, okay, here's my actionable plan to get there, right? What is your plan to get there? I think you heard from Sam, the piece she talked about, I think the important part is also you've got to observe and listen. Talk to your employees, you know, observe what's actually happening with your leaders. Because at the end of the day, this is a culture, a culture that's being built, right? It's got to be within the DNA of your leadership, the culture, so that you really have very different outcomes. And I think a part of that is if you're not there, then you've got to be willing to support and coach. Because just start making a mandate to say, I want it fixed. It doesn't work that way either. It's actually the worst way to get there, right? So that's why I say you've got to pause and have that assessment of observing and listening, figure out where the culture of your organization is. And if you feel like it's not where it needs to be, then you've got to figure out the support and coaching you're going to do to change that, but then have a plan of how you're going to actually get there. And I across all of that is how I look at any organization that realizes the value of diversity I no longer believe that, you know, we have to quantify that. We all see and know that. And at the top of the house as a leader, we're really fortunate to work with someone like Jamie Diamond, who absolutely knows and understands that and ensures that as leaders, we know here at this organization to get the best outcomes, to be the number one bank, to be number one at all of it. We've got to make sure we've got the best top diverse talent out there doing exactly what it takes to continue to be number one people should be really aware of just some research out there that might help them think through these issues. One is an interesting work that looked at when there's about 20% women in a group or at a certain level, many men feel like we've made it. That's okay. We've done it. We've reached 20% and it feels like diversity. But of course, it doesn't feel like diversity to women. And the same could be true, you know, really of any other underserved group. So you have to understand that there's an inherent perspective you might have to fight against when it comes to feeling like you've done the work and really push yourself further. The other interesting research that's been done is that when there's only one diverse person on a hiring slate, chances are that person will not be hired for that job. But when you have two or more diverse people on the slate, it radically improves the chances you will get a diverse person in the role. So you have to also push yourself to go further than one. It has to be two or more. And the more discipline you can bring to that process, the more results you'll see. Great advice for anyone and things that really any leader can do. So that's super helpful, super valuable stuff. Thank you so much. Sam Saperstein, Raquel Oden, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. Thanks, Daniel. It's been great to chat with you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to my interview with Raquel and Sam. You should definitely also listen to their podcast, Women on the Move. I'm joined today, as always, by my friend Ariel Lopez. Ariel is the founder and CEO at NAC, a data-driven talent platform. Hey, Ariel. 
Hey, Dan, how's it going? It's going well. I was thinking today about retention, about building your whole company, not just about the top of the funnel. What are your thoughts about how to maintain retention? I think you treat employees the way they deserve to be treated and you solve your problems there. (laughs) Ultimately, it really comes down to growth opportunities for employees. They want to be somewhere where they know there is an opportunity for them to realize their full potential. They want to be at companies that are passionate about the product. They feel encouraged about the direction in which the company is going in. Hopefully, it's not (laughs) burning in flames (laughs) while they're there. I think if you're thinking about diverse employees, something that typically gets overlooked is what this looks like from an equity perspective. And when I say that, it means beyond the kind of run-of-the-mill DNI initiative. Do you have a strong promotional structure in place for diverse employees? Is there some type of managerial program so they know six months or a year in, they actually have the opportunity to move into a different role or get paid more? Sometimes employees don't even recognize what they're being judged for. And it makes it really hard for them to keep a track of what they should be doing and at what point they actually become a good fit to be in a a different position. So making that information really clear and making it readily available for the employee is super helpful. So they don't leave and they have a strong conviction that they're able to continue to grow. Yeah. If you think about hiring is hard and improving diversity often involves even a bigger investment. And so, you know, one way to make it easier is by not having such a leaky bucket. If you can give people growth opportunities rather than have to keep filling those roles over and over again, you can get a lot further, a lot faster. Sometimes you can almost trade. If you've got a senior role to fill, which can be really hard, you can make an internal promotion and then you can trade that for like an easier job filling their replacement at a more junior level. And so it's like a win-win where you're investing in the person and making an easier hiring problem for yourself. I couldn't agree more. And I talked to a lot of companies and I think a consistent theme is lack of diversity in management roles and in leadership roles. And that spans uh, throughout the industry. So having an opportunity to really tackle the process and figure out how do we want to give people promotions? What are we giving them promotions for? How do we make sure that they understand what they actually need to do in their role to become qualified? All of those conversations ultimately affect whether or not someone is able to move into that role. And that representation matters. If someone is on the fence about whether or not they want to work at your company, but they see someone that's a team lead or they see one, someone that's a VP, even better, they see someone on your board <laughs> that actually looks like them. And it's going to increase their chances of hitting apply and hopefully working there one day. I love it. Growth mindset for the win, Ariel. Great to talk to you. Great talking to you too. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and review our podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.